0: Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Well, how would you finish a discussion of some of the most lofty musings of God's plan that have ever been enacted in time and space among people that He created? How would you feel when you were done explaining God to people? I'd be whipped. I'd need a nap, I think. I'd be tired. I'd be saying, "Phew! I hope you got that. Romans chapter 11 has an amazing ending. we've already celebrated here today and it's not taking a nap is it the road on our journey has led us to some lofty places some lofty heights of seeing all that God is doing and that's amazing when you consider where we started remember our road at the beginning was ugly it was terrible point was, this is not it. We asked, why should we even go on a journey? Because this is not where God means for us to be. And in that, he didn't scold or yell or scream other than help us understand where we are and then share love with us. Then in the next chapters, we saw a beautiful road, nicely covered with trees, and there God unfolds His blessings, extending His forgiveness to us. In chapter, the second half of chapter 3, all the way through chapter 6, God extends His forgiveness and lays out how this problem can be fixed. So journey into that. Then... We wanted to look at the last half of the book which is about explaining the purpose of it all we can see that now than we earlier than better than we could have ever understood it before and so we saw the windy mountain road at first our part in getting there because he doesn't want us here he wants us to move into all that he has but then he wants us to arrive somewhere And getting there is about what God expects of us and also what God accomplishes in the process. So we looked at the human side of that, what God expects in chapters 7 and 8, purpose for this earthly struggle that we have. And now we've been looking in chapters 9 through 11 at the divine side of God getting us there, what He is doing, what He is accomplishing. Thus the panoramic view, these lofty heights where we find ourselves now, understanding God's part in getting us there. In the end... God's fulfilled plan, as I've said the last couple of weeks, looks like this. But wait a minute, I'm going to add something to it. So, so, so listen to these verses carefully. Revelation chapter 7, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, what are they doing? Verse 12, praise, glory, wisdom, and thanks, and honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. The same thing that Paul does at the end of his discussion of God in all of his greatness. They worship. We can best understand these chapters if we see how they fit together and where they take us. So again, looking at your notes, you remember Romans chapter 9, it's about Israel. Romans chapter 10, it's about the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11 is about Israel and the Gentiles. Romans chapter 9 is about Israel, the Jews. Most of you didn't get it. Romans chapter 10 is about the Gentiles. All of you can get it. Romans chapter 11, some of you will. Jews and Gentiles get it, and some of you will not. Romans chapter 9, the Jews, you brought it about. Oh, theirs is the inheritance, the patriarchs, the very lineage of the Messiah forever to be praised. Amen? Ah, You you brought it about. Gentiles, Romans chapter 10, you made it your own. See, he came to his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans chapter 11, both of you, Jews and Gentiles, you owe each other for what you have. Romans chapter 9, Israel's past election, the Jews' past election shows God's character. Romans chapter 10, Israel's present rejection because they didn't get it, didn't want it. That shows God's purposes, that everyone might be able to get it. Then Romans chapter 11, Israel's future restoration shows God's glory. Thus, the doxology, the praise. A lesson in each and every one of these. You can't have half a God you want his entire character. Chapter 10, you, you can believe and you can have it all. And in chapter 11, yeah, that's today. You, you better get grace and you better walk humbly in it. That's understanding this broader picture of all that God is accomplishing in taking us from here to where he wants us to be, to there. Romans chapter 11 is about Israel and the Gentiles. Paul speaks as a Jew. He is a Jew. But Paul's also an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's sent to reach them for Christ. Both of you will or will not get it. Paul, a Jew, he gets it. Any of them didn't. Paul speaking to the Gentiles. Some of them get it. Some of them don't. Both of you owe the other for what you have. Romans chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. Again I ask, he says, did they, the Jews, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. You don't get it. I make it available that to the, to the Gentiles. That makes you envious that you might eventually get it. Verse 12, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater richness will their full inclusion bring when they do get it? If the Gentiles are blessed, think of how he will bless his chosen people when they finally do understand. Israel's future restoration shows God's glory. And this is the place where I'd like us to go today. There's a lot here. I, I could expand on any one of those points, and we could spend all day there. I would like to go after this part of it. Israel's future restoration shows God's glory, and this is the piece that we should consider. All of this work that God has been doing among his people is about seeing how amazing, how good, and how great and gracious, loving And merciful our God is now here's why I emphasize that so much the danger of being in a relationship with such a good and loving God is what is thinking that the blessings that we receive in that as I said last week love forgiveness purpose and hope When we consider how amazingly good this God is to us, what's the biggest danger in that? Thinking that this is all about us. Now, that is an insidious danger. There's an essential lesson here. God loving you doesn't make you great. It makes God amazing. Right? I'm not saying he doesn't love you. <laughs> he does. But God loving you, you knowing you, doesn't make you great. Makes you a child of his. Makes you a recipient of of his love and his mercy. But it doesn't make you great, does it? It makes him absolutely amazing. Don't mistake being the recipient of goodness as being worthy of it. Instead, understand that being the recipient of such unreserved, undeserved goodness makes the giver of all of that worthy of everything. Of all that you are, of all that you have, of all that you do. Okay, aside from the grace of God, have you ever been a recipient of grace? Aside from God, let's just, we'll go back to that, but have you ever been the recipient of grace? Anybody ever done something for you that you just, you just did not deserve? Now, if you think about that, does that in that moment, did, did you feel like you were great? Or did you feel like that person was really, really pretty great? I, I've been the recipient of grace, m- more than just God's grace. That's a 1969 cutlass convertible. That was my first car. Nice, right? Now, that's a blue one. Mine was white. I saw this down at the bike shop uh, a couple years ago. Couldn't help but take pictures. My car was exactly like that, except mine was white. Nice, huh? Kind of thing, you know. How many guys have got those stories? My first car. I wish I had my first car, right? Still, yeah. Does that make me great? Um, Let me tell you, no, no. And let me tell you why I didn't have a car, I was a college student And a poor one, all college students are I suppose <laughs> I was working at a church, I wasn't working at a church I was just teaching, volunteering at a, uh, a Teaching Sunday school to A group of high schoolers at that church I had had a ride, but now that person didn't go there anymore I had no more ride to go to the church I used to borrow my brother-in-law's motorcycle Rain or shine, show up in the cold Teach Sunday school One particular day, I had to leave after I taught to go back and work in the cafeteria. A woman stands up at the end of the service. I'm telling you, as a pastor now, nightmare. Just don't do this, okay? She stands up at the end of the service and she goes on about how, we got this great kid, he comes here, he teaches Sunday school and it's ridiculous. He has to go on a motorcycle and it's gonna start raining, it's gonna get colder and I don't even know what we should do here because if 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 we even give him any money for a car, I don't know if he can afford the insurance and I just think, Somebody ought to do something, and she sits down. Don't do that. (laughs) The pastor goes, okay, let's pass a plate. 900 bucks, and a person who paid my insurance as long as I was a student at that school. Took that money, went back, I had a break, Thanksgiving to, to, to after New Year's, Always worked that six weeks for a really good boss, great guy, helped me all the way through college, even in seminary. He sells me, getting into the hobby of restoring convertibles, he sells me that car for a song, So cheap, he says, don't go and just sell it because you can make money on it. But you need it. I heard about the gift. Does that make me great? Makes grace amazing, doesn't it? How about this one? Next picture. This is my 17-foot mahogany grade, marine grade mahogany sea kayak. That shot on the left is last year outside of Ipswich, Massachusetts, your great, lake where, great neck where I grew up vacationing, and I took that shot as I was paddling last fall in the beautiful marshlands in that area. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Does that make me great? No, especially when you understand that these are never sold. These are kits that you buy and you make, and once you have poured your blood, sweat, and tears into this gorgeous coffee table that now floats and you can paddle, you treasure it. You don't sell it. the man that sold it to me for less than I could have even made it for, I was feeling rather guilty about this opportunity because number one question I get whenever I take it out is, oh, did you make that? It's a killer because everybody who has one of these has made it. And I always have to say, no, I didn't make it. And so I'm feeling guilty about the fact that I would now be paddling in something that I didn't make. And he looks at me and he goes, why don't you just take your PFD, which is those of us who are kayakers, we wear PFDs. We don't wear life jackets, we wear PFDs, you know, personal flotation devices. Why don't you take your PFD and on the back of it just write, grace. He said that. Grace. Of course you don't deserve it does anyone deserve grace who is the amazing one when you are the recipient of grace you or the giver see here's the lesson of Romans chapter 11 you better get grace and you better walk humbly in it let me unwrap that a little bit this is not about you just as it was not just about them now how how can we help this I know I know you want to get grace I know your hearts so maybe this could help us blessing versus grace blessing when misunderstood can mean entitlement grace when truly understood breeds gratitude and the example of this is in Elijah so let's read that beginning in verse 2 God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Now, what's he saying there? Look at these terrible, awful people. So the context of this is they are all wicked people, many of them. They're worshiping Baal. God tells Elijah, go set up the the contest, remember? They kill the, 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 uh, the ox. They put it on the fire in the altar, but nobody's allowed to light the fire the God who's the living God is supposed to light the fire. All the priests of Baal yell, scream, cut themselves, do whatever they can. Elijah downright mocks them. Of course, their fire never burns. Then he does the same thing, drenches it with water, prays, and fire falls from heaven. And the living God is seen. And this is one blessed prophet who cries out to God saying, Look at these wicked Israelites? Ahab tells his, tells his wife Jezebel, Jezebel threatens his life, so Elijah just runs. Do you remember? And he runs deep, 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 deep into the wilderness and then sleeps and gets fed by angels. God is gracious to him. And then travels some more. God finally appears to him and can go into the whole story, and he's gracious. He says, Lord, Elijah's saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. You see, it's all about me. What's God's answer? I've reserved my, for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. So Paul then says, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace it would be a blessing that you earned Elijah was this blessed prophet he calls down the fire from heaven to prove that Baal was simply an idol but that led Elijah to think that it was all about him and he was the only righteous one left that wasn't true God's grace was being applied to all who still worshiped him 7,000 of them God was even gracious to Elijah in his misunderstanding He doesn't even scold him. He provides food for him. He allows him a chance to rest. He returns him to his ministry. But none of that was because of Elijah and his blessings and his abilities. It was about God who is gracious and loves people who don't deserve it. Or it isn't grace, right? God doesn't spoil his children because they're good. That might be blessing. God is gracious to his children because they need forgiveness. That's grace. We are first and foremost recipients of God's grace, and that has nothing to do with us and our ability and our works, or it isn't grace. So that means don't be conceited. We read that in verse 25. and Don't want want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. What God has given you, you hold with an open hand because it's a gift and it's nothing that you deserve. And it's also why you can share it so readily with others because it isn't yours as much as it's anyone's who wants it. That's why Jesus said that there were these two that went into a temple to pray. And one stood and said, Oh God, I'm so glad that I am not like that publican. I give my tithe and I fast and I pray every day. I'm blessed because I'm good. And the publican is at the back of the room beating his chest not daring even to raise his head who calls upon the grace of God that he might have mercy on him because he's a sinner and Jesus said he is the one who left that place justified by grace so this is what it means to get grace here's a suggestion Accept the gift. Don't try and earn it or deserve it. That's about you. Advertise the giver. Brag on God for what he's done for you. That's about him. And then anyone can have it. See others as God does, potential recipients of his grace. That's about others. That's what you do when you get grace. You understand it for you. You understand it. You get it. That I don't deserve this. You advertise the one who gave it to you because it isn't yours. It's about what God has done for you. And then anyone can have it. You see everyone else as a potential recipient of that grace. You walk with this open hand and say, Guess what I got? Would you like this too? Blessing versus grace. You are not just blessed as if you deserve it. You are forgiven when you don't deserve it. Then we need to walk humbly in this grace. This isn't about us. This is about him, just as it's always been. This may help us with that part of this. God's glory versus man's salvation. God's glory is God's ultimate purpose. Mankind being saved is not God's ultimate purpose. He made the ultimate sacrifice for that to happen, but that does not make us being saved God's ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is to be glorified, and saving us may be one of the greatest ways that he brings glory to himself, but the point is, he is praised. So here, and I have to run, we get into the uh, illustration of the olive tree from verses 11 to uh, 17 to 24, actually beginning 11 all the way through 24. And here's the point. You see, end of verse 16, look at that. If the root is holy, so are the branches. The root is what matters. John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. There is an olive tree and we are the branches. The natural branches didn't get it, so they got cut off. The wild branches can be grafted in. But if the wild branches can be grafted in, they can also be cut off, and the natural branches can be regrafted in. Obviously, this is so much more about the tree. And the living God who gives life, then the branches. This is and has always been about God and what he deserves glory for. Verses 28 to 32, God's gifts and call are irrevocable. I, I, I learned how to say that from Sal this morning, irrevocable. I was going to say irrevocable, right? I guess neither, neither, either, either. They're irrevocable. This is about him. What about him? You were disobedient, but God was merciful to you. Now they are disobedient, so they are all set for for God's mercy. And we're all disobedient, so God can be merciful to all of us. And this is why Paul ends the discussion with this ultimate purpose of praise, this doxology, that he knows and has it all, and that he deserves it all. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be glory, forever and ever here's the application God created us to worship him that we might be so grateful that we become those who give him glory and that means that God grants us new life so that we can be in in perpetual gratitude forever praising him for that we're meant to give him glory in everything that we do Worship now becomes a lifestyle, more than just a song or a prayer or a church service. It becomes a way of living. It becomes a way of how we define our lives. So again, this is how you walk humbly in that grace. You accept the gift. Same thing, you accept the gift. Live for the giver, do all in gratitude for him. That's about you. Advertise the giver, to him be glory forever. That's about him. And anyone can have it from him and through him and for him are all things. You see, to understand this is God's glory versus mankind's salvation. You were made for him, and he saved you that you might glorify him. See the essential lesson here? God loving you doesn't make you great. It makes him amazing. And that should foster in us this desire to glorify Him in every way in who we are, in what we have, and in all that we do. Let's seal that lesson in singing this morning, which is what we're about to do. That God might be praised but don't let it stop at the end of a song let it be what defines how you live who you are what you have and everything you do Lord God we're so grateful for who you are and we are so grateful for being the recipients of such undeserved grace forgive us that silly human pride that would cause us to think that this is about us may you be glorified in and through us because you are God and you are great and you are good we as the recipients of grace want to forever praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.